Baseball's back, baby. Fenix and Smith, Arden Zwelling at the letters for the 2020 season. Baseball is back. You know baseball's back because all those sounds that we associate with this great game, right? The crack of the bat, the uh, the skidding of, of cleats in the dirt and along the infield turf, the distant clanging of garbage cans. Letting you know when the off-speed's coming. It's back. It's back. I wonder if the Astros do that for their intra-squad games or for their live live batting practice. you got to replicate the game conditions, you know? You've got to practice, right? Practice like you play. You know, like you got to clang it loud enough so that, you know, Carlos Correa can hear you, hear you when you're at the dish. Exactly. I mean, it's pretty crazy uh, that baseball's back. It feels different this spring. I mean, you think? (laughs) What could be different, Ben? Man, it's a totally different conversation. I find it kind of entertaining still. And, you know, to go along with the normal spring stuff that, you know, we'll get to, of course, with the Blue Jays. But in addition to your roster battles and your new faces and new places, like having this Astro stuff is pretty crazy. The last thing we talk about is the game. Yeah. We don't talk about the game. We talk about the trades and the signings and the scandals and every you know the comments and then the responses to the comments and the responses to those comments and then let's parse what the commissioner had to say and the last thing we talk about is actually baseball. Right. And I mean there, no one is going to play a game that matters for another 6 weeks, right? Another 5 6 weeks. You could argue another 6 months. <laughs> sure. Um but certainly nobody's going to play a game that matters until like September October, you could argue. Arguably, but even in relative terms, the next 5 weeks are essentially, you know, exhibition games, a chance to sell, you know, different versions of the same jerseys, a chance to, you know, have yeah. fans show up and 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 pay 20 bucks for for their tickets and and more for beers. But uh, you know, alongside that, as you were saying, there's the sideshow and the comments the players are making. I mean, players make comments all the time. Mm-hmm. Every single year in spring training, they trot these guys out in front of the Blue Jays backdrop or the Astros backdrop, or whatever it is, and they make comments. But this year, they're actually so interesting. It's like a total transformation. I forgot about new jerseys and new hats, which is another thing we can talk about that isn't baseball. Right. Talk about comments. Um, okay, so the Astros scandal. Like we we have to start there. And there's a couple Blue Jays layers to it, and we can you know look at it in a you know we can kind of take a bird's eye view of it as well. But I you know we might as well start with Dave Hudgens, who is uh, you know currently the Blue Jays bench coach, was the hitting coach for the Houston Astros in 2017. Um, originally did not say much about this uh, and then came out this spring and apologized and said but you know the biggest thing I think is I regret and sorry that we that I didn't do something do something more that uh, you know to stop that when it was actually happening um, I think something could have been done but we didn't and now you know we're dealing with this did he say enough are you satisfied with the contrition that you've seen to me, sure. I mean, he apologized. So, all right, that's something. But in another way, my response is really not the one that matters. And I would really be curious to know what the players and what the other coaches think about that, you know, honestly. Mm-hmm. Not what they're going to tell us. Because, of course, if we or when we go down there and, and ask these players, hey, you know, what? how did that resonate with you? The players are not really anything on the record they're going to say hey we support Hudge. he's he's our coach we, you know we believe in him we we have his back all right that's fine but you know honestly what do they think and a guy like randall Gritchuk, who has said that he believes the astros should be stripped of their title vlad Bo, these guys have been critical of the astros generally speaking and their actions in 2017 and beyond so then 
implicitly implicit in that you have criticism of anyone connected to that team. And of course, that includes Dave Hudgens, who was the hitting coach. And I mean, this is we don't know exactly what went on, but it's pretty apparent that if you're the hitting coach of the Houston Astros, you knew what was happening and had some role in it, even if that role was passive, you had a role in it. So yeah, to me, sure. Okay, Dave Hudgens, you apologize. That's fine. But I'm not convinced that within that room, the players are content based on what Grichuk has said publicly and based on what other say, players are saying publicly. And I suspect that others, whether it's coaches or staff around the team, would also have reservations. So to me, yeah, it's fine that Hudgens apologize, but I'm not sure that he should still be a coach on this team. I, and I agree that there's probably been some, some pretty interesting private discussions that have been right. had. Randall Grichuk comes to mind because he's been, you know, pretty outspoken about it. Bo Bichette had great comments about it, you know, when, when he talked about earlier in spring. And that's a guy who's only been in the league for 60 games yeah. or whatever it is. But like, I, you know, I, I thought that his comments were great and direct and forthright. Um, I think... Uh well, first off, I'm glad that I wasn't directly impacted by it. I definitely think that uh, those guys that were, I mean, there's so many people, not just the Dodgers, but um, not just Judge. There's so many, I mean, guys who got hit hard for an inning, um, all that. So I'm glad it's not me directly, you know, directly impacted. But I don't necessarily think that cheating is bad for the game. I think the way that uh, it was handled is probably bad for the game. The fact that those guys aren't getting... Um, in trouble, I guess, per se. So uh, I'm glad that Bellinger stepped up and said something. I think that more guys in his position need to. But, um, you know, like I said, I think it's more of the punishment that's bad for the game, not necessarily what happened. Would you have done the same as the Astros players did? Oh, no, absolutely not. You would have said, don't bang the trash can for me? You would have? I would have. I mean, I, I would hope that I would have made a pretty big ruckus that we were even doing that in the first place. You know, the thing that people will pull out of them is Bo saying, well, I would have caused a ruckus if that was happening and I would have done something about it. And that is where Dave Hudgens is at fault here is that he didn't do something about it mm -hmm. because you look at what he said and what Astros players have said, what MLB found in its investigation. It seems like he was not, you know, the mastermind of this. He was merely aware that it was occurring. Yeah. So he didn't do enough to stop it. And so... Everybody who's going to criticize Dave Hudgens then has to put themselves in his shoes and say, well, would you have if you were there? And I think that there's probably a little bit of resentment in the game, particularly from people with the Houston organization who are saying, yeah, you know, if you were in Dave Hudgens' shoes, would you have really like would you have really in a clubhouse considering the culture of clubhouses, you know, just considering um, the group think that happens in clubhouses, considering how the last thing you want to do is get in the way of the cohesiveness or chemistry or harmony of the team. Um, if you're on your way to winning, you know, a hundred plus games and everybody's having success and everybody's cheating, sure. But like taking part in this scheme, would you have been the guy who said, Hey, this ends today. And then how are you going to do that? Because it seems like guys like Dave Hudgens uh, and AJ Hinch felt like they couldn't in yeah. a way. AJ Hinch, the way he expressed his displeasure was he smashed up the monitor twice. They just got a new monitor. And the players didn't stop. Nothing happened. Here you're dealing with dynamics of coaches who are making, you know, like Asia Hinch should be making more. But as a, a hitting coach, you know, I don't know, 50, 60K, like maybe 100K. I would think more. But still, you know, not money that you're going to coast on for the rest of your life. Versus a player who's making $20 million yeah. and who's actually taking the plate appearances and who, like, 
you know, every ball that they hit and their success at the plate increases their wages, right? Like gives them better earning potential in the future, which is why a player would do this is to hit better and make more money going forward. It's thorny, I guess. Extremely. Yeah, it really is. Complicated. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, if I was the hitting coach on the Astros, I don't think that I would have stopped it. Right. Like, honestly, I don't think I would have because everything was going so well. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that the Blue Jays or any team connected to this has to hold on to the people and personnel who are associated with that team and had a role in it. And I think in hindsight, we can all agree that pretty clearly this was cheating and this was not fair to the other the other people in this game. And it crossed a lot of lines. So with that knowledge and knowing that Dave Hudgens was one of the people around there, I think you would have to have serious reservations about continuing with him on your staff. I think that even within that Houston clubhouse, a lot of them probably thought everyone else is doing this. Everyone else is stealing signs. You know, look, there's an active investigation right now of the Boston Red Sox in 2018 that's still yet to come down. Like, this is going to get worse. You know, there's another team that's going to go through a similar cycle to what Houston's going through. So I think that within the walls of their clubhouse, they thought everyone else is doing this just like we are. No individual, even if they do know that, like, morally, ethically, this is wrong, it's cheating, you're not supposed to do it, it's against the rules, are you going to get in the way of the success of a team that's going on to, as we know now, win a World Series. And everybody's going to get nice rings and everybody's going to get rich. And the Houston organization, which obviously knew about this like top to bottom, is going to get insanely wealthy and make a ton of money. If you're Dave Hudgens, I mean, think about how often players do things that aren't best for themselves for the sake of the team. Like, think how often players go out and play when they're hurt because it's team first mentality. Yeah. Right? Like, you got, and you know, Probably shouldn't be out there pitching if you've got, you know, whatever, a frayed labrum or, you know, maybe shouldn't be out there playing on a partially torn ACL. But you'll go and you'll do that because you don't want to, you know, other people on the team to kind of say like, hey, like, is that guy really hurt? Like, why isn't he, you know, out there playing for us? I'm playing through my own bumps and bruises. Like the group think that occurs in a clubhouse is something that I think really plays into this. And so that's why, like, this is a really roundabout way of me saying, like, I don't think the Blue Jays should move on from Dave Hudgens. I think Dave Hudgens should continue in his role with the Blue Jays. I think he came out and apologized for it and said exactly what he needed to say. Is that if I could go back, I would do more. I doubt he would be able to do more. You know, AJ Hinch tried to do something. Mm -hmm. Didn't really work. You know, seemed like the inmates were running the asylum there. But I don't think that, you know, I think Dave Hudgens has kind of, you know, paid his pittance here. Yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. And it should be said that Major League Baseball, in their investigations, they're naming Alex Cora and Carlos Beltran. And, you know, subsequent reports have identified other people who are front and center in this whole sign stealing scheme. But Hudgens wasn't named anywhere, as as you said, kind of a originator of it or the brain trust behind it. So that should be clear in all of this. I, I guess like part of it, though, is if you're the Blue Jays and you're trying to establish this culture where there's expectations, there's integrity, there's leadership. Um, You're trying to set examples up and down the organization. He's in uniform representing this organization day in and day out on the field with your prized players. You are, in a sense, you're saying that what he did is okay. By continuing to employ him, you are saying what he did is okay. And, And I understand that there's a slight nuance there because he did apologize and that that was presumably something that the Blue Jays were supportive of. But at the same time, there is there's an uncomfortable side of this where the Jays are saying it's okay what he did. 
if he did something within the Blue Jays culture, like within his time with the Blue Jays that ran counter to their values and their morals, sure. But this is something that happened before he was ever a Toronto Blue Jay. Right. And, you know, I think it's fair to assume that most people around baseball had a pretty good idea that the Houston Astros were up to no good in 2017 before this ever came out. I think the Blue Jays would have heard some whispers about what was going on with the Houston Astros when they were in the process of, of hiring Dave Hudgens. And, you, you know, you want to talk about culture. Like, think about what the Houston Astros culture has been over the years, like throughout their front office, throughout their teams, win at all costs. They have come out and, like, been quite, like, blatant in saying, like, we are going to, like, you f- gather as much information as possible and use it to our advantage and do everything we can to try to win. We've seen it throughout their front office and we've seen it throughout. Like, people forget that the Houston Astros didn't just go all in on, like, winning. They went all in on losing when yep. they were tanking, right? And they did absolutely everything possible to lose as many possible games and draft as high in in the class as they could. Like it, they are run like a like multinational business, you know. Like they are like Google and IBM. Like they and you know a lot of times like ethical issues, moral issues are going to get skirted in that pursuit of winning and of championships and of glory. I'm not saying it's right. Like, you know, I'm not, I don't think that anybody can look at them morally and say that they've done everything right the whole way, but that is their culture. So we operate within their culture in the way that their culture seemed to dictate that things should be done. Now he's in the Blue Jays culture. Yeah. It's different. No doubt. And I think it's not black and white with Hudgens. I mean, you can make, I think, really reasonable cases for moving on from him. And part of that would be there's a lot of good coaches out there or potential coaches uh, who are willing to step into that role of major league bench coach. So it's not like there's, you know, it's not like replacement level is super low. There would be a lot of, you know, pretty decent replacements out there. But at the same time, they wanted him here for a reason. They hired him. They like what he's brought. So, you know, if you really believe in the guy, and I don't know Dave Hudgens well enough to have a sense of, you know, what it is that he brings intimately, you know, behind the scenes, but if you really believe in this guy, then all right, maybe it's worth whatever public backlash or even behind the scenes backlash you're going to get for keeping him aboard. And I don't think they deserve a, a ton of backlash because look, he participated in the investigation without, by the way, being granted immunity. You know, a lot of players have participated in it because they knew we're not going to get punished. So we can be honest and, and open. Dave Hudgens didn't have that guarantee. We've seen coaches lose their jobs, right? We've seen people lose their livelihoods over this. Dave Hudgens didn't have that guarantee, still participated in the investigation. There would have been a lot of opportunities for players, colleagues to, you know, implicate him if he was like a really big part of what was happening rather than just somebody who was aware of it and didn't do enough to stop it. We didn't see that from a, a variety of sources. Like, I'm just not one of these people who, you know, when, when a scandal like this happens, I think that everybody who is even, like, remotely orbiting it right. needs to lose everything in their lives, you know, like, needs to lose their jobs, like, and needs to be banished. Considering the the punishments we've seen, or lack of punishments we've seen levied at, you know, players and, and other people who were involved in this, I don't think that Dave Hudgens needs to lose his job. I wouldn't look at it in a punitive way. I think you're right to say that it's not about trying to punish, you know, Hudgens for what he did or didn't do. But I would look at it in a practical way as far as what's happening in the room. And I don't know. Honestly, I don't know what Pete Walker thinks or what Louis Rivera thinks or Randall Gritchuk or Vlad, aside from what they've indicated publicly. But if I were the Blue Jays, it would be very important to me to know how those people feel about Dave Hudgens before making any decision. What do you think of uh, Bo Bichette's comments? 
I thought they were spot on. I mean, it makes sense for him to say, you know, that he would cause a ruckus if that's what he believes. And I mean, Bichette's comments kind of fall in step with so many of the comments that we've seen from major league players in the last few weeks. And I just appreciate the candor that we're getting. Like, it's it's yeah. awesome, you know, whether it's Bichette or Aaron Judge or Mike Trout, like Mike, the normally reserved Mike Trout is speaking up against the Astros. Justin Turner, all these different guys are speaking up and and really leaving no doubt as to what they actually feel. It's kind of open season, and it's interesting because, as we know, there is another investigation ongoing with the Boston Red Sox. Yeah. Look, if two teams were doing this, you have to assume others were. Or at least, like, if not doing it in a live fashion like the Houston Astros were, certainly using that Centerfield camera to decode signs, right? If you know you're playing a team for three games or four games in a row, watch their signs in the first game decode them and then now you got them you know second and third game and your runner on second base knows what those signs are and can relay them back into the hitter which by the way is okay yeah i'm fine with that but also like (laughs) okay so that that's like saying that you can kill somebody with your bare hands but you can't kill them with a gun you can't use technology like saying that you still killed the guy yeah you know what i mean you're still stealing the signs nobody's actually mad about the actual act like the moral ambiguity is the method across this game right like everybody's only mad about the method yeah that the astros used you know like the guy who you know had his signs stolen um you know who was on the mound pitching was probably greased up and dripping in sunscreen and rosin they was using to doctor the the baseball against the rules nobody mad about that cheating Nobody's upset about that. Maybe he was signed out of Venezuela or the Dominican Republic, you know, with a, a bonus that wasn't properly reported in order to circumvent cap rules. And, you know, they, they gave a bit more money to somebody else. And then through their shared Buscone or their shared trainer, that money got funneled back to him. Right. Like there's a lot of, you know, gray area across the game here. And there's a lot of cheating going on that people are OK with. Yeah. With sign stealing, there's tons of gray area. I I do think, though, that when we're talking about what the Astros have done, based on the reactions that we're seeing from players around the league, like to me, it seems like that's emerged from the gray area to clear black and white territory. You've gone too far. But say you did use the center field camera in game one of a series to determine the signs, you decoded them. And then so you all had them in game two of that series and you use that information when you were on second base to relay it in. Yeah. Would that be okay? Yeah. Because you're still using the camera. Yes. I mean, I I think it's a difference between using the camera in real time versus not. I mean, it's almost, yeah, like, and there's certainly nothing wrong with using cameras because if you're a pitcher and I I notice that you're tipping in a certain way because of the video that I'm watching, that's fine. I think everyone would agree that's fair game. Still using technology. So technology is okay. I just think it's the live aspect that, you know, at a certain point you're like, is this really what we want to be doing? Because if you take that to the extreme, then all of a sudden every hitter knows what's coming all the time. Or it slows the game down to the point that there are no signs whatsoever and it's all mound conferences. But it's so you're still killing the guy. Like That's the thing. It's like the crime is still the same. He's still stolen the signs and relayed the signs. It's just the method that people are upset about. And, and like, by the way, this method and the reason that signs are able to be stolen this way is because baseball has actually been like resistant to technology. There's no reason why catchers and pitchers aren't mic'd up with one another right now. I can't see it. Why you can't have an earpiece for the pitcher and the catcher's got in his mask a microphone and an earpiece and they can talk to each other and they can use code, right? Because look, you're sitting right behind the hitter so you're not going to say fastball inside the hitter right there but you say whatever, blue 84 or whatever, right? Like and you have a code and you use that. 
And there's no reason why they can't talk to each other instead of having like literally like the most archaic method of like fingers in yeah. the crotch <laughs> with like sometimes fingernails painted because guys are hard of seeing. Yeah. I mean, I guess like if we went to that system though, then you know that the Astros or some team would just have these you know, super intense, high fidelity uh, microphones set up behind home plate. And then they would have their own code breaking scandal for that, right? Protect like Blue yourself. 84 becomes, you know, they put that into their database and then all of a sudden we know what Blue 84 means. Protect your stuff. Like have your own radio frequency. Like have, you know, <laughs> have, like there's there's no reason why the manager shouldn't be able to speak to the pitcher as well. We have the technology, and baseball like loves nothing more than pushing against technology. We've had strike zone robo-ump technology for a long, long time, and baseball won't do it. They'd rather just keep having inaccuracies and keep having you know disputes and games that aren't called the way they should be. I mean, with Bichette and, and in discussing technology, he made a pretty good point where he was saying... Yeah, I mean, there's definitely... I mean, there's we evolve, you know... Um, in a way, it'd be dumb to not take advantage of what we have, but at the same time, I think that everybody, uh, personally, I'd be fine if there was just no technology whatsoever in there. I mean, they did it back in the day. Why can't we do it now? You know, so I'm sure that part of the reason they did what they did is because of how easy the access was to it. And for me, I'd have no problem taking every, every bit of it away. He wouldn't care, personally speaking, if technology was was not available to players during games um, you know whatsoever and I think that might be the way to go as opposed to adding more technology just remove it altogether and then these guys do not have access of any kind in the clubhouse in the dugout during games why are you going to take away a guy's ability to watch his at bats back you know I mean if we're choosing between extremes which I don't know that we have to but if we're choosing between extremes one where you go to full-on technology and it's you know you're trying to <laughs> intercept like radio frequencies between <laughs> like or we're going to like nothing I'd rather have the nothing but so in football right yeah the head coach offensive coordinator can talk to the quarterback yeah so this exists in the nfl and you don't have this like spy versus spy stuff where people huh. are stealing radio frequencies i don't follow football closely enough to know 32 but. nfl teams do it and it's not a problem and however many cfl teams there are wouldn't you like if you were an NFL team though? Wouldn't you try to like hire a lip reader and watch Bill Belichick calling every play? I mean, the NFL's had plenty of its own scandals. You mentioned Bill Belichick, like the the Patriots have had scandal after scandal with you know spying on practices and videotaping right. guys on the sidelines and trying to decode things. Like this is part of it. Yeah, it is kind of fun to an extent. I mean, it can it can become over the top at a certain point, but. And obviously the Astros went too far. But I just can't stand like the baseball just always pushes against progress. Like it's 2020, right? right? Like at some point baseball has to like accept that you're not going to, you know, protect this like the integrity of the game from like right. 1910, right? The way it was played in cornfields. Like at some point we're going to have to like push this thing forward. Right. You're talking about the integrity of uh, like a game where, like, by the way, the Houston Astros were the victims of a massive scandal a few years ago when the St. Louis Cardinals hacked their uh, player development system, like hacked their email servers, <laughs> like their Vladimir Putin getting into the DNC, right? St. Louis's director of player development or whoever, scouting director, yeah. he went to prison for like four oh, years. Yeah. He was like legit in jail. Yeah. Yeah. In prison yeah. for this, right? Like, like behind bars type thing. That's a way bigger yeah. scandal than what's going on right now. Think about it, the Atlanta Braves, right? Uh, John Capoella banned yeah. for life because of uh, international cap circumventions. You know, guys lost jobs over that. 
I guess this resonates differently because it's not just nerds, you know, in front <laughs> offices breaking rules, right? But it's also players. And players were involved and they haven't been punished. And I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes in for a guy like Mike Trout who says he's lost um, respect. You know, just I don't agree with the the punishments. You know, the player's not, uh, you know, getting anything. You know, there was a player-driven, uh, you know, thing. It sucks, too, because... Like you said, a guy's career has been affected. Uh, a lot of people, you know, lost jobs. It's it's uh, it was tough. You know, it would be me going up to the plate, knowing what's coming. It'd be uh, pretty fun up there. <laughs> so um, you know, it's just like I said, it's a lot of guys lost respect for for some of the guys, and we don't know exactly how much it helped these guys. And you know, some of the data out there compiled by people like Rob Arthur suggests that the advantage wasn't as big as you might actually think at first glance, but you know, it's still crossing a line. In some instances, there's no doubt that it helped. And they obviously thought that it would help or they wouldn't have done it. Mike Trout lost respect, but Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa gained rings yeah. and millions and yeah. Lamborghinis and yachts, you know, <laughs> like that, like I, the people who can't understand the motivations of the players to do it, like I don't understand. Like, of course the players want to do it. These are highly competitive type A individuals who are in this like pressure cooker environment where it's like extremely cutthroat and they are highly incentivized to do better at the plate and to put up bigger numbers because that's how you get paid in this game. Like, that's why I've never like understood the argument of people who have said, oh, well, you didn't think about the Mike Bolsingers of this world or you didn't think about the guys who, you know, came up for one start and got shelled and were never in the pros again. Of course, they didn't think about those guys. Yep. They're thinking about themselves because they are selfish and greedy and they want to win rings and they want to get paid millions. And they did. Yep. And there was no punishment for it. <laughs> so, of course, you're going to do that. The punishment isn't prohibitive enough. Of yeah. course, you're going to steal signs. Of course, you're going to use them to your advantage. Yeah. And I get that. Like the system of incentives, especially at that at that time, yeah. was set up for something like this to happen because there was no punishment in place. There was no precedent for it. No. There were basically no rules or warnings against it. Maybe there were rules, but they were loosely enforced or they not enforced. So ambiguous and vague. And that's part of the reason why MLB couldn't punish players is because they did not have like really strict, definite rules saying, if you do this, we will punish you with that. So I understand a player responding to that set of incentives and saying, I'm going to do it. What I don't really understand is why the Astros as an organization and certain members of that organization in particular, like Jim Crane or Alex Bregman, um, Jose Altuve, you know, there's just not any contrition here. And they're they're not saying so they don't care. They don't care. But but it's still that, that's care? what that's what makes it ring hollow, though. Right. As if they went out and they said, you know what, guys, we did. We broke the rules. I did it at the time. And and it, it was something that we benefited from at the time. But I apologize. I know that we've done damage to the game. And, you know, it's time for us to move forward. But I do sincerely apologize to all 29 other teams and their players. This is it's the business schoolification of of baseball, right? Like Jeff Lunau came from McKinsey, mm -hmm. you know, like he didn't come from like a deep like baseball background of working his way up from the mailroom, like Alex Anthopoulos or right. something. Right? Like he came from the corporate world where it's like if you could find loopholes and if you can you know, twist the rules morally and ethically and, and enter those gray areas like you do it. Like every last percentage point, every last advantage you can find, you do it because of this level. Everybody, you know, all the draft boards are the same. Everybody knows who the good players are. Like everybody's got good scouting. Like you find those little, you know, areas on the margin, which sometimes bump up against the ethics and morals of this game to try to be the best and to try to be better than 29 other 
teams that are all progressively adopting that worldview and that mantra. Yeah, and the idea that Jeff Luna didn't know what was going on, the idea that he didn't lead this and yeah. approve of it fully is just laughable. I mean, clearly he knew what was happening. No, absolutely. And look, the memorandum came down on his desk from MLB. And that's the other thing. MLB knew about this. Like right. MLB knew what was going on. They sent a memo. And Jeff Lunau took it and looked at it and then just threw it away. Yep. And that was that. Because look, did the Houston Astros, um, so what did they pay? They paid $5 million? Yes. Think about the revenue that they made oh. throughout that entire season, throughout that playoff campaign, tickets, merchandise, hot dogs, way, way, way more than $5 million. They made $5 million on plastic cups alone, right? right? Like it's like, it's a sliver. It's nothing. So you would feel fine saying, yeah, I'll pay $5 million a few years down the road in order to raise a flag yeah. and to make millions and for everybody to get a ring. Like, yeah, maybe, um, you know, our GM is going to lose his job. Maybe our manager is going to lose his job. Those guys kept all their money. Those guys still have a World Series on their resume. Right now, people will say, oh, yeah, it's tainted, this and that. In 20 years from now, when you look at the Wikipedia page, they're still going to say that they won a World Series there, and this will all fade away, and people won't be as upset about it anymore. Jim Crane gets to keep his millions. The Astros get to keep their their trophy. Nobody's turning in their Lamborghinis. Right. And yeah, and Jim Crane, I mean, he's still a billionaire. And, yeah. you know, there's, there's no question about that. I don't know about the Wikipedia page, though. Like, in 2000. 40, which I guess is 20 years from now. In 2040, when we're on Wikipedia looking at that 2017 Astros article, I actually think it will be very much about the scandal. Who is one of the biggest cheats in baseball over the last like two decades, three decades? Uh, P. Rose. Is that what you're going P. for? P. Rose. That's one of them. Broadcaster. On broadcast right now, given hitting tutorials, MLB Network, and everybody is loving it. Yeah. Alex Rodriguez. Right. Suspended for PEDs. You cannot turn around in this game right now without Alex Rodriguez being there and be, being charming and everybody loving him and thinking that he's great. Mark McGuire went on to be a hitting coach. Barry Bonds went on to be a hitting coach. People will forget. Like, I think Alex Cora will work again. I think Jeff yes. Lunell will work again. I think Carlos Beltran, who is like the guy who everybody seems to be just like packing up the bus over <laughs> in this. Yeah. I think he'll work again. I don't think they'll have super forward facing roles. Like, I don't know that Jeff Lunell is going to be a GM again uh, or a president of baseball ops. I think he could be a farm director. I think he could be a special assistant to the general manager. I think Alex Cora could be a coordinator in a in a system somewhere like I baseball if Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds and Alex Rodriguez and Pete Rose can all like turn their images around and continue to work in this game and gain off of this game I don't see why these guys can't yeah they might be able to work again but there is a element of kind of their legacies being tainted when you talk about guys like McGuire Bonds Sosa I think for a lot of people the first thing that they would think of if you say a name like that would be the alleged steroid use. And so, yeah, they, they worked in the game. Like, I'm not saying these guys will never find employment because they have skills and those skills are in demand. But I don't know that when you think about the 2017 Astros, that taint is ever going to go away. I think it'll always be a tainted title. And I think that the perpetrators of all this just don't care, right? Like, yeah. they don't care about public opinion. And that's part of the business school side of it as well, right? Like, if you think like the fans, you will end up sitting among them. 
You know, like they, they don't care if you think that their award is tainted or if you tweet about them or if you doctor their Wikipedia history. What they care about is they look down at their hand and they see I got a ring and yeah. they open up the wallet and they got a bunch of credit cards that buy them a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, that are not maxed out. I understand that like it's a cynical viewpoint, right? Like no, I, I get it. But like that's just kind of where I'm at with it. Like I just don't have the naivete to, you know, go down that road. I don't think you're wrong to say that. I, I think that those guys are very happy to have what they have right now and to have experienced the highs that they did along the way. I mean, in a way, that's part of what makes it really frustrating is you don't see these guys expressing any sort of true remorse, it seems. Um, and then that makes it just that much more unrelatable. You're like, you cheated, you won. Now you're not showing any remorse. Like, who are these guys? And I think that's <laughs> that's that seems to be some of the sentiment that you're getting from major league players who and it's funny how relatable, you know, it feels like everyone else who's not a member of that 2017 Astros team is just all in the same group where, you know, whether they're on different teams, maybe it's Judge or Ballinger or Trout or a fan or, or you know, a media member. We're all sitting here just so puzzled by this. Yeah. And so in a sense, everyone else is just piling on and dunking on the Astros and everything they do and say, which is deserved. But like you say, those guys are still sitting there with the rings and and those accomplishments, those awards that they won. And the bell may someday toll for those people who are pointing fingers now. Like I said, it wasn't that long ago the Astros were the victims of a scandal. Yep. You know, like these things turn around. Like there's a lot of unethical stuff going on across the game of baseball. I will say, you know, as a kind of big, big picture uh, side effect of this, I hope that this makes players more outspoken in general. I hope that they see that hey, it's not the end of the world if I actually say what's on my mind. I don't have to be Trevor Bauer. Like, it's it's not only Trevor Bauer who's going to speak out. <laughs> you can be Mike Trout or Cody Ballinger and say what you think, and that's okay. So I, I hope that's a side effect to this. I don't know if it will be, but that would be awesome. Even Trout, like, he didn't he didn't say anything that strong. It no. was just strong for him, right? Yeah, for, him. for always saying nothing. Yeah. But he just said it's sad for baseball. Yeah. Which, you know what? I agree. Yeah. All of this is sad for baseball because we're not talking about baseball. A couple more off-the-field matters that we should at least touch on. Yes. Uh, Tony Fernandez has unfortunately passed away uh, at the age of 57. Obviously a Blue Jays legend. Already on the uh, the level of excellence, but I would expect there to be a further ceremony this year to remember um, his life. Gone too soon. 12 years in Toronto. Over 1,500 hits. To, look at the slash line over 12 seasons. 297, 353, 412. Just a, a really good hitter, really athletic player, uh, stole a whole bunch of bases, didn't hit a whole ton of home runs, wasn't really his game, uh, but a really exciting player to watch. Absolutely, yeah. You know, kind of before my time or, or your time, you know, yeah. as far as his prime, certainly. Um, but you look at some of those clips from the late 80s and he was incredible defensively. You look at that slash line, you look at the total value numbers, the offensive numbers just the exact kind of shortstop that you would want, right? He gives you some offense, great defense, took the field. He clearly meant a ton to the Jays. And it's interesting reading back at some of the articles, and in particular, 87, he was injured uh, toward the end of the season on a slide at second base by Bill Madlock and knocked to the ground. And he ended up breaking his elbow and being out for the rest of the season. And at that point, the Jays were just totally infuriated with Madlock. They're just calling him out. They're saying the slide was dirty. And the Jays ended up, of course, losing the AL East that year to the Tigers. And the Tigers moved on to the playoffs and the Jays did not. And, you know, looking back, you could argue that that play where Tony Fernandez broke his elbow was the turning point. And and clearly the players felt that at the time. That was his importance to this team, even though I think that was George Bell's MVP year, if I'm not mistaken. But Tony Fernandez, in a lot of ways, was 
just as important to the Blue Jays for that team and for that era. Yeah, George Bell was uh, ridiculous that year. 146 OPS plus and 156 games played. This guy was out there every single day and put up those numbers. But uh, yeah, Tony Fernandez is right up there. There's a lot of crazy stats on that team that I'm looking at right now in baseball reference. Fred McGriff had an 881 OPS that year. Rance Mullenix, 871. Lloyd Mosby, nice shaker, 831. Uh, you know, you got to go down to like sixth or seventh to even get to like Willie Upshaw and, and Jesse Barfield, who uh, were good players in their own right. So, uh, yeah, a little, little piece of Blue Jays history. Yeah, it, it definitely is sad. He's only 57, which is pretty crazy. Um, and obviously a Blue Jays, um, one of the all-time Blue Jays greats, right? When you think about four stints with the team, a, cha- a world champion, part of the biggest, most important uh, trade in Blue Jays history. So clearly a, a lasting legacy here in Toronto. And then one last uh, off-the-field matter that we have to touch on, uh, Reese McGuire, backup catcher for the Toronto Blue Jays, was arrested uh, on the eve of uh, spring training uh, for exposure of sexual organs. He's uh, Look, we don't know all the details because obviously this is a, a matter before the courts and he's got a court date coming up in mid-March. So it's a tough thing to comment on without knowing you know, everything, without knowing how it plays out. But, uh, you know, if just from the organization's perspective, like, how do you approach something like this? I mean, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good at all. No. Uh, who knows where it leads as far as legal ramifications? I don't know what the kind of charges were, you know, how that would work. But just from an optics standpoint, it's really bad. And just from a common sense standpoint, like, what are you doing, Reese McGuire? That seems yeah. like a bad decision. It's a new one, right? Yeah. So I can't imagine the Blue Jays have a lot of like <laughs> experience no. in, in tackling a situation like this. I feel like for, as the organization, like when something like this happens, you almost like you're hoping that it's just indiscretion, right? It's just foolishness. Can yeah. you think about like the other like outcomes here where it could have been something like sinister or yes. like targeted, right? Like it could have been a victim and it seems like with what we know now, there isn't. Could have been something where there's like a, you know, pretty serious psychological matter at yes, play here. Right. Right. Um, you know, so f- from what we know sitting here today, like it seems like it was just foolishness and indiscretion, which like doesn't make it any less troubling. No. Um, or any less like, you know, upsetting that this happened. But like of the possible outcomes, I think just from the organization's perspective, you are hoping that it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. You're hoping that it's just a bad, creepy decision. Yes. Um, and he is at least seems to be working with the organization on it. It sounds like they weren't caught off guard. It sounds like he went and told them where we've seen, you know, other cases across baseball where guys get arrested or like, you know, things happen during the off season and they actually don't alert the club about it. And then it becomes a problem later on. And look, this is the kind of thing that, you know, major league teams have to move on from and, you know, equip McGuire with better skills and and (laughs) lessons from this. I mean, it's, I know it sounds like PR speak in a way, but clearly something went awry there and there's a chance for him, best case scenario, to move on from this in a positive way. But obviously it was a very bizarre and bad decision. Well, the implication there is, you know, going forward, you know, the Blue Jays, while like put, obviously you're concerned about the legal process and making sure there isn't a victim and like everything's copacetic there, but then you got to think about on field, right? Because this is your backup catcher or, you know, this is a guy who maybe even could have split time with Danny Jansen. Um, This is a guy who you would assume there will be some impact on field from going through, like think about how embarrassing this must be to be in Reese McGuire's shoes right now, right? Yeah. And to have like 
people like you and I sitting yeah. here like on the internet talking yeah. about what he is alleged to have done. Yeah. Uh, like that's an embarrassing thing. So you would think that there would be some bleed over into performance in any job, right? Sure. Beyond being a baseball player, in any job, if you went through this, it would probably affect you during the workday. But Reese McGuire has to go like hit a fastball. It's like a really hard thing to do. He has to game call. You know, it's it's not like he's, you know, just getting, uh, you know, five or six defensive chances a game. He's yeah. involved in every single pitch and every pitcher's meeting and game planning and scouting and evaluation and trying to hit. There's a lot that goes into being a catcher. And so, like, having this, like, massive elephant gorilla in your personal life, you would assume is going to affect your performance. And so, it you know, the Blue Jays, that's got to be something that they're they're considering. Yeah, they would have to. That's a good point because really of all the jobs in the world that you need focus for, like being a major league catcher is probably pretty high on the list considering you've got 95 mile an hour fastballs flying at you constantly. You're working in coordination with other people on an ongoing basis. You have to hit those fastballs three, four times a night. There's a huge amount of preparation, mental side of the game. You have strategy. You have all these different things that you're watching out for it would not be a good job to be distracted in, no. you know, and, and probably it's probably no job that would really be great, but some you could probably get away with it for a month or two. But I don't think major league catcher is one where if you're distracted by something in your personal life, that it would be easy to, to go on with that. And I will be clear that this is no one's fault, but his own, right? Completely his own fault for putting himself in this situation. But it's not like this is going to go away now. Like he has to go back and have a court date. And at some point he's going to have to stand in front of cameras and stand in front of people like you and I with microphones and discuss this. So like, even if he is able to kind of like process it and deal with it and get to a place where he can be productive and, and good at his, his job, even with this going on, it's going to keep bubbling back up. He's going to have these like reminders of it. He's going to have these hurdles. That he's going to have to clear in this. So, you know, I do think there is kind of a, an on-field performance element of this that uh, has to be a concern. Yeah, not a great situation. Right, ben let's go to the field finally <laughs> after all of that we could talk about baseball uh because blue jays spring training has begun and uh while this is not a season that i think any of us are expecting the blue jays to contend or to uh, make the playoffs or win a world series some of us perhaps not even expecting them to crack 500 uh it is an important season on the field in terms of the development of a lot of uh players obviously the the position player side you want to see Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio continue to take steps but a lot of those guys have made their MLB debuts they have you know shown that they can hang at the major league level on the pitching side that is where the Blue Jays need to figure a lot of things out and obviously you've got a reworked rotation here Hunjin Ryu at the top and Chase Anderson and Tanner Roark should provide some stability in there hopefully Matt Shoemaker is able to bounce back from his torn ACL well but looking forward to the Blue Jays years of you know presumed hopeful for them years of contention in 2021-2022 you're gonna need new you know you're gonna need guys you know is Tanner Roark still gonna be getting it done at that point you know is Matt Shoemaker 
you're going to need somebody internally to kind of take a leap here. And so you're looking at names like Ryan Brucky, Trent Thornton, um, you know, TJ Zoic, Sean Reed Foley. The Blue Jays are going to figure out some things about a lot of their young starting pitchers this year, I think. I think it's kind of a make or break year for a number of guys. It's a really intriguing year for that rotation. And we're going to see a lot of pretty interesting players start the season at AAA making the call-ups that happen much more interesting. The opening day rotation should on paper be pretty good. And even a guy like Sean Yamaguchi, I mean, who's who's competing now for that number five spot, I'm really interested to see what he can do, whether he's a factor there or maybe he's more of a long guy. But they have a lot of interesting names, and that's not something that we could have said a year ago. Do you think the opening day rotation is pretty good, or is it just kind of now big league average? Sure. Which is pretty good in comparison to last season. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, yeah I'd say the latter. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I don't think it's great by any stretch, um, but it's serviceable. It's definitely yeah. passable. Then you combine that with a lineup that's got the potential at least to be above average. I mean, they would have to make, again, huge strides, huge improvements, but we're assuming that some of these guys are going to be much more productive in 2020 than they were in 2019. But you combine those things, and that's where you get to a point where you can realistically look at this club and say they could win 78 games or 81 games or 82. You know, they're in that range of being respectable. I just think that the development of one of from that kind of clump of pitchers who is around the like AAA slash like maybe you know in the mix for the fifth sixth spots in the big league rotation depending on how things like shape out with injuries and performance and where Yamaguchi ends up he could start he could relieve. I just think the development of those guys is like so important because the Blue Jays, they have gone out and gotten a Tanner Roark and they've gone out and gotten a Chase Anderson. But if you could have somebody from within become as dependable as a Tanner Roark to go out and put up a major league average ERA over a big bulk of innings every year, like that would be really important going forward. If a, you know, Hector Perez or a John Harris or Julian Merriweather, like there's so many names in there. All the ones I mentioned earlier, a Jency Diaz, like an Anthony Kay. If one of those guys could show that they can be a Tanner Roark type of pitcher going forward, that's huge because those guys are early in their service time clocks uh, and, and they could be, you know, a part of a rotation in 2021, 2022 behind Hunjin Ryu, Nate Pearson and some other free agent signing of a high caliber to fill out those innings eating roles behind them. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think it would be a disappointment if the Blue Jays did not have someone from their current group of young pitchers emerge as a stable uh, supply of innings, really. I mean, whether it's Anthony Kay or Trent Thornton, who I think are probably the most likely, uh, Ryan Brucky would be in that mix. Although, you know, the injury that he has suffered is now, you know, I know they're describing it as a minor setback, but we also know that the Blue Jays routinely describe setbacks as minor, even when they prove to be more serious. So I think Barucki is a question mark now. Ryan Brucky had a setback last spring, too. Right. Um, and, and we all know how that ended up. It is demoralizing to see him have to go through it again, but I think you're fair to say that there should be some skepticism as to just what is going on with that elbow right now. Yeah, I, you know, I think if you're setting an over-under for Barucki's innings in 2020, it has to be pretty conservative. And, you know, this isn't the time for that. We'll get to that next month at some point. But, yeah. you know, I, I do think that you look at that group and they need a couple of those guys need to emerge. They're going to have the chances. Um, Pearson, you would hope would be someone who arrives and has the chance to showcase his stuff. You, you almost take him for granted at this point if you're setting up a future Blue Jays rotation. But even beyond that, I think you want one or two guys at least to step up and, and show themselves to be 
reliable, steady major league contributors. That's why to me, like, you know, right now, like I don't care who the fifth uh, starter is on yeah. opening day. Like, I just don't care who it is. If it's Yamaguchi, if it's Thornton, it seems pretty clear it's not going to be Baraki. Don't care. I care who, like, who's going to be the eight, you know, <laughs> like behind those three, right? Like, who is going to be, is is Anthony Kay, is, uh, you know, Patrick Murphy, who was, like, might have been up in the majors last year if he didn't have to rework his entire delivery and then get hurt in the process of doing that. Um, Julian Merriweather, what's he going to be, you know? Like, uh, is, Thomas Hatch, another yeah. bit, like, every, like, I just keep, these names just keep coming yeah. up because there is a real cluster of arms at that you know, in that kind of murky middle there, I'm interested in more and more interested in who emerges from that and who proves they can be a guy rather than who ends up winning this fifth starter competition. Yeah. And and so much of that comes down to health on both fronts. You really, if you're the Blue Jays, you need to just get through spring training healthy. And then at this point, you would start triple a or start the season with a really good triple a rotation a steady double a rotation with some upside i mean you're starting to have that organizational pitching depth that you need and you know i I don't think that they need to have these results happen this year or never because these guys have options so you know of course there are only so many years that you can option guys up and down so there's some amount of pressure there uh, you know as far as option clocks and that sort of thing but i do think big picture it doesn't have to happen in three months or it doesn't even have to happen in 2020 because these guys are going to be on their option years for a few seasons to come. But behind them, you've got, you know, an Alec Manoa on the way. I mean, you've got, you know, likely a pretty good pitcher coming out of the first or second round of this year's draft, I would think. Woods Richardson. Right. Simeon Woods Richardson. Um, there, there's a ton of names that, you know, hear Ross Atkins talk about the waves of talent. Like they've built some waves. It's time to see like what kind of impact on the shore like the yeah. wave can make. But the there are waves. So there are there is pressure on a, a lot of those guys to take a take a jump. Yeah, it'll be nice once the season starts and we can see, you know, who starts performing. Because at that point, you start to actually get some results. In spring, it's a time for optimism. But part of the reason for that is there's no real way to measure yourself in any sort of reliable way. So, yeah, it's optimism. But that replaces any real sense of of what matters and who has really improved and who still has work to do. What's your level of optimism in uh, Randall Grichuk as Blue Jays center fielder for 2020? Like, is he... Is he still the center fielder come August, September? Or, you know, how how long is this last year? You know, if they had someone coming up through the ranks, like a prospect who slotted at center, then I would say no, but they don't. So I I think he can play it. We've seen him play the position before. He's got ample experience in center field, both with St. Louis and Toronto. So I think he can do it. I I don't think he's necessarily going to, you know, go out there on day one and, and be you know, Jackie Bradley Jr. or Kevin Kiermeyer in their prime. But, you know, I think he's probably a better bet than or an equally good bet as Teoscar Hernandez when yeah. you look at the speed that he has and the experience there. I don't think he's going to mess up a ton, even if he's not saving hits all the time. I'll put a pin in that. Who is the Blue Jays' top outfield prospect? That's, oh, man. Right? Yeah, you start reaching, right? Griffin Conine? Yeah. Uh, uh, Chavez Young? Is he, does Forrest Wall count as a prospect? I mean, yeah. maybe. Right. Like you, I, you know, I don't have the number in front of me, but I would imagine Baseball America and MLB Pipeline, all those, the top tens of the Blue Jays system don't have an outfielder in them. Like this crew, like this front office, like if, you know, people fall all over themselves to, to criticize them, but you don't have to reach real far to criticize them for like 
not really developing a very good outfielder and not really bringing in great outfielders at the major league level either. Like, I don't think the Teoscar Hernandez story is necessarily done, but he's been given a, a ton of rope and we've seen some pretty good heights and some pretty deep valleys as well and some demotions to the minor leagues. The Randall Gritchuk extension, year one doesn't look great. Years two through five might look better. Doesn't look great. You know, at, at the major league level, at the minor league level, like this crew has not done great with outfielders. Yeah, that's for sure. And you see it right now on the depth chart. I mean, Guriel should hit. So you've got that. And then. But, so that's the one success they had was the guy who was like, you can't play second base a day yeah. longer. <laughs> like, yeah. We can't let you do this anymore. You've got to go out to the outfield. Like that's the one success. Remember, they wanted to sign Dexter Fowler yep. in 17. And so his last couple of years haven't looked great, no. right? Since he signed with the Cardinals. Yeah. They didn't sign Fowler. So they brought back Jose Bautista for like the worst year of, of like a putrid campaign. He like when he led the team in plate appearances and was way, way, way below average as as a hitter. Billy McKinney's been a below average. Derek hitter. Fisher hasn't emerged. Derek Fisher. Yeah. Alford has not developed into what he could be. I mean, yeah. although to say that's the fault of this particular front office, but... If you want a guy with tools to develop, you look for Anthony Alford yeah. or you look for Derek Fisher, right? Like those are guys with like a ton of raw talent and athleticism um, who haven't been developed into consistent major leaguers. If you had to pick one guy from that group who you could see emerging and kind of taking a step forward in 2020, who do you look to? So it, like, it has to be Teoscar Hernandez, like, yeah. especially if like, he's going to end up in playing in right field, maybe a bit less defensive responsibility. And if he can just kind of get out of his own head a little bit and focus on hitting and be like second half of 2019 Teoscar, if he can have that consistency over a full season, like that's actually a really, really good offensive player. Yeah. So that would be my bet. My hope is that Derek Fisher is MVP. Because that would just be hilarious. Yeah, because that'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like if like if that's how that worked out. Like because that would so many people would have to stuff it after that happened. It's so funny how that trade worked, right? How initially people thought, oh my god, Aaron Sanchez is throwing a no hitter for the Astros, yeah. and this is this is a disaster. Well, now I mean Sanchez is sidelined, is still a free agent. Um, to my knowledge, I haven't seen him sign anywhere. Is he not still? They non-tendered him. Oh, they did yeah. non-tender him. You're yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. He's, he was cut loose. Right. So then, you know, in contrast to that, Derek Fisher was getting hit in the head with fly balls. <laughs> horrible start. Like, admittedly, horrible, yeah. horrible start to this, his time with the Blue Jays. And I don't know where where it ends, right? He's got tools. He's got performance at AAA. We'll see. A lot of guys have that. And we'll see if it leads anywhere for Derek Fisher. But I would agree with you. Teoscar is the guy I would look to from that group to potentially take a step forward and emerge as someone that you pencil in more than month to month, you know, like, and that's not necessarily asking for a ton, but just someone who's earned a bit more rope than just going month to month. I think you could probably also go into the archives and find like 2018 Arden and Ben saying, man, if Teoscar could find some consistency, 2019 Arden and Ben, you know, if Teoscar wasn't so month to month, right? Like at a certain point, like he is just an incredibly streaky guy. Sure. But we'll see if like less defensive responsibility, you know, because from here, the, the only place you can go is DH. And the Blue Jays need that spot open this year, I think, in order to just rotate guys through, get the most out of their roster. Charlie Montoya's got another toy to play with this year, the 26th man on the roster, and it's going to be a position player. Charlie likes to play his guys, right? Yeah. Like they all, Everybody plays. So you're going to want him to have that flexibility. 
it'll be kind of interesting to see if there is room for both an Alford and a Fisher on the final version of you know the the Blue Jays opening day roster. I kind of feel like there, it's got to be one or the other. Yeah. Where do you land on that? Yeah, I don't. I just don't think Alford makes the team. Yeah. Yeah. If I had to guess, I think Fisher's got a good shot. Um, it sounds like from. Some of the reporting down there, which Shai has been doing great stuff with, you'll be down there next week. Mm-hmm. Um, but from some of the reporting, it seems like Joe Panic has a pretty good shot at making the team as a backup infielder, which is interesting. And that would suggest that maybe they're not going to carry those two extra outfielders. What are you so doing with Brandon Drury then? If- you're taking, I think they're taking him north yeah. with the team, if I had to so, guess. But him and Panic would be right. a little redundant. Drury plays some outfield then. Or right. DH. You can DH both of them. But at that point, you could option Drury. And you yes. could hang on to Alford and Fisher on the Major League roster and not have to expose one of them to waivers. But I don't think anyone's taking Alford. And I don't think the Blue Jays think anyone's taking Alford. So if you're willing to clear him through, then great. You have a new 40-man spot. Alford's still in the organization. You're set. So it sounds like Anthony Alford, whenever he plays this spring, isn't so much playing for the Toronto Blue Jays, but he's playing for 29 other organizations. If I'm him, that's what I'm thinking. Absolutely. I'm thinking Baltimore Orioles. Like, I'm looking for your scouts in the crowd and trying to, like, put my best foot forward for sure. <laughs> yeah. And you don't think that one of those, like, really, truly bad teams Tigers, in yeah. baseball Royals. wouldn't find a way to get him on their roster and see? Maybe. Yeah. Right? We said the same things about Dalton Pompey. I was just going to say. Yeah. And I mean, he was quote unquote toolsy, but also quote unquote unproductive. Yeah. So like he just wasn't appealing. Alford, it's uh, like it's interesting the way Blue Jays fans like think about him, because yeah. if you just did like a player A, player B with him and Derek Fisher, you would see like MLB numbers that are equally unimpressive and then minor league numbers that are like completely lopsided towards Fisher. And even like some stat cast stuff in terms of like sprint speed and, and defense in the majors that is tilted way towards Derek Fisher. I think of the two, Fisher's by far the more intriguing player yeah. right now. Uh, I think a lot of Blue Jays fans would say, you know, when if Anthony Alford ends up like, you know, being on waivers at the end of spring training, I think a lot of Blue Jays fans would be upset about that. Well, it's always nice when Jays fans are upset about waiver claims. <laughs> Seriously, I also, it's great. If, if a fan base cares enough to, to care about waiver claims and DFAs, that's awesome. Yes, and hopefully you care enough to listen to us all year long here on At The Letters of Bendixson Smith, myself, Arden Zwelling. I want to thank Will Farcarson and Amal Delich for helping us out today here in uh, the studios here at Sportsnet. We'll talk to you next time on At The Letters.